What? Yeah, make sure your telephones are off. I never say that to you guys, but our phones don't ever ring. It's mine that rings when I'm teaching sometimes. So, hey, Lee supporter, sorry you're not here, and I know you're hurting, and we're just believing for you for wholeness. So, she was going to be here today. And there's uh, Mike. Hello, Mike. And one more, and we'll start. We always wait for at least three, right? <laughs> three or more. There's Glenda. Glenda's our third. There's Rita. So we're going to start. All right. Uh, I say this quite a bit, but I really had fun this morning studying and just seeing different things. And uh, I, I titled this uh, part of the trilogy of No Penal Substitution, Did God Really Send the Children of Israel to Babylon for Punishment? Because we thought he did. And also, what does the word denude mean? So that'll be fun to look at. I've used that before in our teaching. There's a lot of places in the New Testament where that word is used. And I found a place here in the Old Testament where it's used too in this story we're talking about today. But as I left off last week, we know that Father desired that Israel and basically all men, which means mankind, you know, uh, to be politically correct, word doesn't want you to use mankind anymore. They, they change it try to get you to change it to everything else. But I still use the word mankind because there's no gender there. But he wanted all mankind to see him in the light of truth rather than in darkness. And darkness, uh, you know, he, man was clothed in darkness. Remember the Apostle Paul's always talking about uh, putting on and taking off. And he always says put on first, which is really funny. Because if I go into my closet, I've got to take my clothes off to put new clothes on. But Paul always said, put on first and then take off. So what he was saying is put on the truth. It's because the truth will, what? Make you free. It'll make you free of the religious clothing that was put on you. Or that came from religiosity. So Father wants us to do that. And he wants us to really understand <clears throat> that we are imaged of him. And he wants man to understand who he really is. All through the Bible, as you read the, the Genesis story, <clears throat> on and on and on, Father was always trying to reveal his eternal love and who he was. He did that through prophets. He did that through what's called the angel of the Lord, which I believe was a Christophany of Jesus appearing, you know, and other teachers. And he was given them the opportunity to see him in the true light where he is eternal and his love is eternal and nothing can cause us to not enjoy his eternality. <clears throat> so, in Isaiah 54, 9, I'm just going to quote one, one little verse from there, so you might just take a note for that. But it says, So I have sworn that I would not be wroth with you, nor rebuke you. And that word wroth is quatsup, and it's to be angered or to be displeased. And, you know, and I think that's really cool, because we've been taught that God was displeased with them and angry with them all the time. And we've been taught that Father God was displeased with us and angry with us. I could say he was not happy in the way they lived, right? But not displeased and not angry with them. I've never can tell you that I've really been angry <clears throat> as an adult <laughs> when I wasn't, you know, when I was very immature, when I was younger, I probably got angry with my children. But when I see my children do things today and they make mistakes and my grandchildren, which they do, I don't get angry with them. So sometimes I'm, I'm, dis I'm, I'm sad about what they're going through or whatever. But there's nothing that can turn me away from my love for my grandchildren or my children or you, really. 
So what took place that produced these thoughts about our father, that our father would be wroth and would be angry? Something had to come in and sow discord amongst the people. And something had to come in and make them feel unworthy and naked, just as the first man did, right? Adam fed from God's I really, I wrote this in here and I'm jumping ahead. I always do jump ahead of myself, but we are gods, right? Little G, if you want to say little G, but we are equal with gods and scripture says ye are gods. And so we are God in the earth. So if I'm an American, then no matter where I go, I'm an American and you're an American too, right? That's called federal headship or we represent not federal headship, but we all represent, we identify with this. So I identify with God. But what would cause these people to do this? They fed from gods that taught the knowledge of good and evil, right? And on and on and on. And we'll see how they did that more and more. <clears throat> and therefore, they believed that God could hold wrath against them and anger against them and punish them. And that's what most of us were taught all of our life. I don't know too many religions that somewhere, some of them are really sweet. My friend Vicki Russ said she never heard of much, much about the anger of God. But if you really got into their doctrine and their real teaching, you would see that they believed in an angry God, but they chose to teach the love side of God and not the anger side of God. <clears throat> and the reason these thoughts were produced is because of their mythological ideas. Uh, these ideas came from the teaching of these gods that they allowed into their temple. And a lot of people don't even realize it. And it's all through scripture that the children of Israel maybe didn't necessarily worship or bow down to those gods but they allowed people into the temple that did they allowed their priests in that did and they were affected by what they taught and what they shared with them and they thought they thought again that they that those gods would be angry with them and they were taught that those gods would be angry with them if they didn't offer the perfect sacrifice or whatever and so i've taught you about that a lot about how moses did that how abraham did that and when they had their true their their experience with the true creator of the earth the true father of all mankind they saw him the same way as all these other gods and so they showed homage to them the following is a list of some of them and i'll try to pronounce their names for <laughs> properly to you <clears throat> but one was ashtroth and that uh, that was the goddess of the canaanites and baal b-a-a-l was the supreme father of the canaanites and then uh kamosh it's spelled c-h-e-m-o-s-h but it's pronounced like with a k Kamash was the national father of the Moabites and was worshipped, or the national god, I need to change that, <clears throat> of the uh, uh, Moanites. And then we, we're all familiar with that Dagon god. It's, it's pronounced Dagon. But Dagon was the god of the Philistines. And then Samson destroyed that temple, if you remember. That temple that he was taken to was actually the temple of Dagon. So while the children of Israel were in Egypt, they were exposed to the teachings of over 40 false gods. Can you imagine that? And we might think, wow, that's just unbelievable. Well, how many religions are there today? <laughs> I've shared many times over the past, there's hundreds, if not thousands of religions. And then there's all kinds of versions of those religions. We have the first Baptist, the second Baptist, the third Baptist, the United Pentecostal Holders, the Pentecostal Holders, and the Church of God, and the list goes on and on and on. And each one has their own version of God, and each one has the, their own rules and regulations. The Pentecostal holiness that I grew up with, it was all an outward thing. You know, it was how you did your hair, if you had makeup on, if you had jewelries, how the men did their hair. So everything, every religion, so we think that was bad. We have many more false gods than 40. 
in the world today. So they included Ra, uh, which was the creator uh, sun god. They worshiped Isis, which was the god of, mag of magic, and uh, Osiris, which was the lord of the afterlife, and then Thoth, T-H-O-T-H, the god of wisdom, and the moon, and Horus, the gods of the sun. And again, they may not have worshipped them, but they were influenced by the people that did worship them. See, if I'm influenced, if I hang around people that worship false gods or, or follow after false beliefs, wrong beliefs, then I will be influenced by them, right? You know, whatever church you go to, whatever religious system you go, you are so influenced to them by them that it just becomes your way of life. And you'll be damned if you let anybody come in and tell you that maybe there's another truth than that, a greater truth than that. So the most familiar false gods they worshipped was ones of their own design. They came up with their own designs and the ideas, it came from Egypt, but as they were traveling to the promised land, what did they, what did they make? What did Aaron make? And the golden calf. Right. When, when Moses, which had become their God, if you would, because if you had to have anybody speak for God, I know, but, but he became kind of their God. Do you not know the Catholic Church, the Pope in the earth is their God? He's their voice, you know, and a lot of times many, many teachers and many pastors almost become as a God to them. And so Moses went up in the mountain top and he was gone for a long time and they had people in their midst that were Egyptians, right? And they began to stir discord and all that and they wanted a, a, a God that they could worship. So Aaron himself, which is just kind of shocking to me, but he formed a golden calf. And it was fashioned by Aaron. And later, another one was made in the reign of, of, of Jeroboam. I think that's how you pronounce it. He was a king. So there was actually two golden calves that was fashioned that they fashioned to worship God. And both idols were a physical representation of, of a false god. So, so the same people did another calf later? Yes. After the, Not them. It was... The it was, it, was, it was done during that king, that, uh, the other king, Jeroboam. So it's no wonder that today mankind has false, many false perceptions, which I could say would be a false god of our father. And, and they have become idols and they worship those. And I know people <clears throat> get upset with me. A lot of people don't want to hear truth, but Jesus has become an idol. Buddha became an idol. And all the other teachers that came to teach, that were here to teach real truth, they became an idol. And God, Jesus never wanted us to worship him. <clears throat> we admire him. We say he was the greatest master teacher of the earth. That he was, uh, Mary was overshadowed just like you were overshadowed. It was, it was a, a miraculous conception because every conception is miraculous. And Jesus was anointed, and he was, he was sent to be the Messiah of the Jews. He was sent to free them from the religious system that they were bound up in, right? And free them from that lie, and the same thing for us too. And so we honor Jesus, and we, we are thankful for Jesus, but I don't lay down and worship Jesus in the sense that people think, I, I seek and ascertain and desire to know more and more what he came to teach. And I would love to know him personally, and I think I do, because Jesus was father in the earth just as you was. You know where it talks about, uh, I didn't write it all down, but he's wonderful and counselor and all that. But nobody ever talks about how he was God. 
He was the father. He was the exact representation of the father. You don't have to read that in scripture. But so are we. Are we not? We're the very image of our father. So every religion has its own false god. But by that, we mean false perception, false understanding of our father creator. And understanding can be a, a god to you, right? Just like I used to say before, a lot of people don't, back when I was more religious and law-minded, I said a lot of people don't come to church because they have these gods like boats and cars. <clears throat> and, and I was wrong there, but, but it, it can be. It can become that. <clears throat> there was also the god Marduk. It reminds me of, what is it, Marmaduke? Marmaduke. That dog, <laughs> poor dog. But it was M-A-R-D-U-K, uh, the Babylonians, which associate, was associated with fertility and vegetation, and because of that confusion of Marduk, it had 50 different names, right? <laughs> 50 different names. Then there was Mal- M-I-L-C-O-M, Malcolm, the national god of the Ammonites, whom they sought knowledge of the future through the occult means, and child sacrifices were, was related to this one. And then we also know about Moloch. But did you know that Solomon uh, worshipped it? I, I was just, you know, it, it, it amazes me, but Solomon, at the close of his reign, he, uh, he allowed the worship to Moloch, and it was called M-O-L-O-C-H, M-O-L-E-C-H, and M-O-L-E-K, and that's the one where it had the brazen arms where they sacrificed their babies on it. You know, because Solomon went after a lot of false stuff, right? So... Later, he did become wise. <clears throat> but there's a great probability that the Hebrews were addicted to the worship of these deities, and they entered the land of Canaan as they entered there, and Solomon built a temple, literally built a temple to Moloch on the Mount of Olives. And you can find that in first. Huh? I said, wow. <laughs> Isn't that crazy that we're saying wow because we've read our Bible, haven't we? Yeah, I remember that. First, first, first Kings 11, 7. And then Manasseh made his son pass through the fire in honor of this idol in 2 Kings 21, 3, 2. So I don't have time to go through those, but you can look at them later. And then also Kings 21, 6. I just think we have read our Bibles, but we haven't really studied our Bibles. We usually study our Bibles to see how to be a good husband, a good wife, finances, healing, health. And then we were told that we should read the Bible all the way through in a year. Well, I tell you what, if you do that... It will bore you to sleep, especially when you get to Leviticus and all that. Don't ask me any hard questions, baby. <laughs> okay, I'm playing with you. First Kings eleven seven, Second Kings twenty one three and two, or back. Oh, oh excuse me, and Second Kings twenty one six. So the image of this idol was made of brass. Now, when you look at the word brass, it, it actually most of the places it translates fine gold. You know, and we always talked about how brass, brass was the, a picture of God's judgment, which it's not. But it was made of this a fine gold, and its arms extended as, it, as though it's embracing everyone. That was kind of the mindset. But it was hollow, and it had a hole in the belly, and they would put coal or wood or whatever and burn it until it glowed white. And then you had to, and I'm saying this again because people hadn't heard this, but you had to offer your babies on that fire. And if you showed any remorse, if you cried or whatever, then that baby would not be acceptable to that God. That Just kind of crazy. Huh? Wasn't that for prosperity and love? I don't think so. 
No, I don't think so. It may have been. I'm not sure. <clears throat> and I know people, I've heard people talk about when we send our children off to war, we're offering, offering our children into fire. That's not what that is. I still don't think that's the perfect way of doing it. But, you know, we do have to protect ourselves against people. And I'm not going to get involved in all that. Uh, I do believe until peace reigns over the earth, there's always going to be wars, right? And so we don't have to just lay down and let people do what they want. But again, uh, it, this, these, these are tough situations that they allowed themselves to get into. And it's not certain what this God was supposed to represent. Some suppose it was to honor uh, Saturn, some the sun, some Mercury, Venus, whatever. So what particular God it was not, uh, it was not uh, so much so what it represented is what people believed about it to the point that they would give up their life for it. And how many people have given up their life for religions? How many people have, remember Jim Jones, was it not Jim, the guy down where the people, Jim Jones, where people gave up their life for a belief system and they drank the Kool-Aid. And I say quit drinking the Kool-Aid. So it was the most cutting uh, reproof here that could be made of the Jews that their fathers had been guilty of worshiping idols. And then we all do shake our head, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, but it has continued on and on and on. I may not have a statue in my house that I bow down to, but I guarantee you I grew up in a religion where I, I worshipped an idol instead of an ideal, the situation here. So most Bible readers have no knowledge of their being. Hi, Melissa. No knowledge of their being. So many false gods worshipped uh, are affected by the children of Israel because they really, again, do not study the Word of God. Just like we were all shocked that Solomon did that. We, but it's in Scripture that he did it but we're just we're not always a fan of the old testament we kind of like the new testament and people like to look for the precious promises and all that stuff you know i was never taught that by my pastor that i know of i never heard anything about that i think brother garner talked about it so in the book of acts acts 740 i'm going to go there if you want to turn there but in the books of acts uh, one can discover a historical record of how people turn their backs on Father to chase after false gods. And they were, they were exposed to these things. And it's found in Acts chapter 7. And can, can you agree with me that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John could have been affected by religiosity? Because they were Jews, were they not? And all their teaching was that way? Can you agree with me that the Apostle Paul was affected a little bit by religiosity? Because he came and asked Father to deliver him from that. Did he not? Yeah. You know, and we know that Father, and I'll say it again probably in my teaching here today, but Father said, hey, my holy breath is sufficient for you. That's what grace means. My, my holy breath is sufficient for you. Or you know, to go after your true mind. You need a pen in? No, I got one. Okay. <clears throat> so let's just read this. Uh, Acts 7.40. Saying unto Aaron, make us gods... Now, this is about what happened uh, as they were on their way to the promised land. Make us gods to go before us, for as for this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered the sacrifices unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Now, then God turned, and it says in the King James, gave them up. Do you remember... 
and the verses that I talked about recently were it's talking about men that uh, lusted after men, women that lusted after women and all that. And we think that gives us a right to preach against homosexuality and lesbianism, all that. And we, we were taught that God turned his back on them, right? Where it said, wherefore God gave them up. But when you look it up in the Greek in there, it says they gave up God. It's backwards. They, so, so if I'm involved in some kind of sexual immoral thing that's not natural to who I am, then it, what it was saying is instead of going to my father for the peace that I needed or whatever it was, I went after that. So that would mean I gave up God for this. You know, it would be like me giving up ice cream for broccoli. <laughs> right? Or gave up broccoli for ice cream. I said it backwards. <laughs> I would rather have my ice cream than my broccoli and carrots and lettuce and things that are good for me. So does that make sense? Yes. I said it backwards a minute ago. <laughs> so in the King James, again, verse 42, then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. In other words, they, they, they made their own gods, if you would. Some of them worshiped stars. Did you know that? As it was written in the book of the prophets, O you house of Israel, have you offered to me? And I put a question mark then because he's saying, you think you're offering these things to me, right? I've showed you other places where in scripture and Kay has too, where God said you, you offer sacrifices to me and you offer your offerings to me. You're right. All I want you to do is love me and love your brothers, love one another. You know, I'm telling you, when you give money in church, you're not giving it to God. You're giving it to your pay the bills of the church. You're giving it to support the pastor. You're giving it to support the the uh, the workers, whoever gets paid, that's what you're giving it for. And you're doing that because it's your nature to give. It's not to please God. And it's not to get God to bless you. You know, and I believe that like uh, Vicki Russ told me years ago, what God can get through you, he can get to you. That's a natural thing called flowing. Yes, and if it doesn't flow... It rots. It's just like I say all the time. If your food is not flowing out of you, you're in trouble. <laughs> if your urine's not flowing out of you, you're in trouble, right? If the oxygen in your when, that you breathe in is not flowing through every part of your body, you're going to die. And people are always wondering why they're struggling all the time is because they're not giving. And I'm not just saying giving to the pastor or whatever. We just need to give of our life and every part of it. And there's nothing like giving. I got a tithe sermon in. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, what is this saying right here? I'm going to tell you, baby. All right, tell be me. patient. Be patient. <laughs> so verse 42 in the Hebrew where it says, it's literally said, turn quietly around God and surrender them to their worship. If you want to do this, go ahead. Because God's not a God that's going to make you do what you don't want to do. He's not forcing you. He loves you. He gently nudges you. He doesn't beat you. He doesn't send you off to prison. He doesn't punish you. All that stuff. It breaks my heart when I see somebody say, why did God take my loved one? I told you about that movie Don and I watched. It was so good. But about that 
young girl that her mom, that, that mama was pregnant with her eighth child, was it her ninth child? And it died. And this, that girl said, that's my baby. I love that baby. She couldn't wait so she could coddle and help mama raise that baby. And the first thing she did, because she was in a very religious church system, she went out and screamed at God and almost cursed God and said, why did you take my baby away from me? Where did that come from? Religiosity, right? So we purposely, or as I said in my book, we purposely put that question mark there because people need to understand that God was saying, you really think this is me? But see, what happened is they went off. He was revealing to them that the gods that they worship were not the father. And because they continued to be rebellious, he allowed them to follow their own path of destruction. There is a way that seems right to men, right? Men whose breath is in his nostrils and it leads what? To destruction. It's not destruction from God. See, there's a lot of people today that are living a destructed life and it never came from God. It came from their choices. I have relatives that live that way. I have met people out in public that I can tell they've made wrong choices and it's led them down that path of destruction. It's not eternal destruction. But like we say, you can have a hell and it's right here. Right here on earth. It's hell living apart from Father God. I love my wife so much. If she died or if she left me, I can tell you that would be hell. I would suffer tremendously at least for a week or so. <laughs> oh, I always say, we're always talking about how I'd be looking at the funeral for a new, but not anymore. I'm too old. But I would suffer a long time. I'm too old. I, I am too old for that. Uh, but I would suffer for that loss, right? Yes, I would, baby. So, uh, what happened to them? They brought on their own consequences. Everything that has been attributed to Father was not Father whatsoever. In all the Old Testament, it was their consequences. Everything bad was the consequences of people's path where they thought this is the way we should go. I mean, in their scripture that says this is the way, walk you in it. And the verse 43, uh, Yea, you took up the tabernacle or Moloch, and then the star of your god Rimphan, figures which you made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. It says beyond Babylon, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It doesn't say to Babylon. Them going captive to Babylon was from their choice. Now, scripture and commentaries and all that say that God sent them to Babylon. But this scripture says beyond. And I looked it up and it says beyond Babylon. So it's believed that Luke wrote this chapter or, or much of Acts, whether he did or not, it doesn't matter. But the author here made this like father turned his back on them and sent them off into captivity. And again, that's from their perception because they, they were raised in a Jewish system. They understood the Jewish system and it was, they had never heard the message of love, remember? Until Jesus came. They always heard of a retributive God that, that will, if he's happy one day and he's not the next day. And you're always trying to please him. So I don't believe he did. Uh, the, the above verse, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. The prophet Amos is being quoted here. And when you look that up in Amos, Amos 5, 27, that phrase, therefore will I uh, cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, which is Syria, the Hebrew word for that whole phrase is G-A-L-A-H. It's actually pronounced halal. 
and it means to denude, D-E-N-U-D-E, by exile or move them to another place to help change their awareness back to Father. Isn't that cool? Father was seeking to remove their false awareness by, by getting them away from that which traduced and hindered them. Another Hebrew word that I liked, I looked it up today, of that explanation of the word denude is to denude the sinuses of mucus. In other words, remove that covering, bring you back to where it's where it's supposed to be. Remember in the beginning, God created man and woman and they were naked and they were not ashamed. Right. But see, when Adam said I was naked, he wasn't talking about his physical body. He was saying, I've lost the breath of God, you know, or for people want spirit. I lost your spirit. That's what he was saying. He it had nothing to do with about his physical nakedness. But man was created naked. They need no clothing at all. You know, I, I'm reminded of my wife, the, you know, and I'll some people get Don always gets embarrassed. But one of the first things that I wanted to do was see her naked. I mean, I'm marrying her. She's my woman. She's beautiful. And so she disrobed. She de- denuded herself, if you would. So you can see it two different ways here where I saw her beauty. Father wants us to be denuded of our religious clothing. And that's why Paul kept saying, put on and take off. Let us boldly enter into being the throne room of God. I have no religious clothing on. Make sense to you? So... Uh, Let's just say my daughter, Allison, if she was living in a neighborhood, uh, one of my biggest concerns was uh, uh, she needed help. And so we bought a, a uh, one side of a duplex and it was a really nice little duplex. And we thought we'd buy it for her until she could move out. And it'd be a good investment for us. But as I was buying it, just before I closed on it, I found out the house next door. Uh, there was a gentleman living there that was living out of not out of his true nature. And he was really highly addicted to drugs. He was really mean. The house was horrible. And I thought, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. I, I wish I didn't have to put her here because I was concerned about what she was going to be living around. Well, fortunately, the, the day before closing, it came up for sale. So I stopped the closing, got a really good deal and bought it and got the rent. The rent pays for what my daughter doesn't pay. So it worked out really good. But I didn't want her living in that environment. I didn't want my grandchildren living in that environment, right? right? So what if she moved into a neighborhood that was full of drug dealers, full of human trafficking, and all kinds of crime went on, false gods, if you would, and she was being traduced and she has been hindered by that situation and got a phone call right there. Uh, and she lived there and she was beginning to be affected by that. The word traduced and hindered is the actual word that the Bible should have used instead of devil. And so they became a devil to her and begin to take on that kind of that nature, my love for her would seek to exile, exile her because that's what some of these words said that Father did is he exiled them. He moved them to a place to get away from all that. Yes. And his purpose was to reveal himself in a greater way, right? And so I went and I got a house and a nice house in a nice neighborhood. And I, or like I did, I bought the house next door to remove what could be a hindrance or traducing so she could live a better life. Amen. And that's what Father was always doing. He was trying to move them from all that, that situation. But the problem was they kept it within themselves. So 
The word denude means to strip off the covering. That's what it means, to strip off the covering. So when the Apostle Paul taught, he often said, again, put on, take off. The put on always came first, and that removed the false belief system. So it's not hard to recognize how the children of Israel and the leaders and writers were affected by the surrounding false gods. And I have people write me all the time, you don't know what you're talking about, and they send me all kinds of Hebrew and Greek studies. And one guy wrote me the other day and was just really blasting me when I was talking about how if you're going to a place that the leaders are, are showing God to be a, a, a God of anger and wrath or whatever, or whatever. And they, this guy just blasted me, and he couldn't stand it, and he mocked me, and he finally blocked me. And I thought, fine, that's okay. <laughs> you wasn't my friend anyways. But they're so bound up in religiosity, and they're bound up in what... See, there's other, there are many Hebrew and Greek books out there that are affected heavily with religiosity. And they translate it the way they want to translate it. They will translate the word devil instead of what the word that the word devil came from, right? And so they just think that's the word of God. So the reason Father continues to instruct them is not to, to not intermarry in all these nations, if you would, was to protect them from the consequences of doing that, yet they did not listen to the loving Father. It's just like if I had gone to Allison and I didn't get to get that house and I said, baby, be careful. Don't have anything to do with those guys. Watch your kids when they're in the backyard by that guy. Watch your kids when they're in the backyard. They have all kinds of different people coming to the house all the time. I'd be doing that because I love her. But if she said, daddy, I'm a grown up. I could do what I want. And she didn't watch her children. And she goes to their parties that they have and all that, that she's going to be traduced and she's going to be hindered. Correct? So we can understand why there are passages in Scripture in the Old Testament where the writers made it look like Father was responsible. Uh, we see places where he, it says God shut up their wombs so they couldn't get pregnant. That's not God. They just couldn't get pregnant. But they blame it on God. You know, how many times have people been told that they're cursed or I did something wrong because my child died? You know, I'll never forget Donna telling me when her, her I guess it was your brother or your sister, but why did God do this because she didn't know she didn't know the real God and many people do that and God doesn't bring famine and God did not tell them to kill the Canaanites can you imagine I mean we've believed that but can you imagine loving a God that would say go kill the the adults the the children the babies and kill them all we, we just thought well that's the sovereignty of God I know it says it, you know, and we thought we thought like this man told me that last week. He said, all scripture is inspired by God. And I said, brother, if you look it up, it's they added that. It says all scripture inspired by God is profitable. They added a couple of words to make you think that all scripture is inspired by God. Because I believe the translators of the scripture knew that it wasn't God. But they wanted to control people, raise money, right? <clears throat> so now we understand why John wrote in John 1.18, no man has seen the Father at any time. I, when I read that once, I thought that's not true. But he's, that word man is anthropos. That, that word man represents man whose breath is in his nostrils. If you're seeking God by sensory knowledge, you'll never see the Father because your senses are infected by your religious upbringing. You don't feel, you don't feel worthy. 
You know, there was a post that Sue put on the other day, and I hope that didn't bother you, because a lot of women have been copying this post, and it seems really nice or whatever, but it talked about, I used to hate this woman talking about herself. But I put on, it's impossible for you to hate yourself. You cannot hate yourself. You cannot like yourself. You cannot like the life that you're living, but you can't hate yourself. You will always put yourself first before anyone. That's the truth. And one of our friends said, how is it not possible? It's just not possible. <laughs> I hate what I do, you know, that I like ice cream all the time. Well, that's a lie. I don't hate that. <laughs> but I have hated my actions before. I have hated the fact that I've ever made my wife cry. You know, I hate the fact that I am not a real patient man with her sometimes. I know that. And I try to be patient. And I ask God to help me be patient right now. I want it right now. <laughs> you know, so... There are things I'd, I hate about what I do, but I don't hate myself, and I never have, right? And the truth is, you've never hated yourself, have you? That's true. That's true. So we, we follow these cute sayings, and they're not true. So not, it, then it goes on to say not even one, not even one man, no gender there, that seeks to know God by the sensory realm knows God. It must be by the breath of God. Remember what I shared with you guys on breathing and breath? What you do, breathing is what you take into yourself. Breath is what you blow out, correct? And so when you look that up, the breathing is literally breathing in wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And what you breathe out is that what you learned. Same thing as praise and worship. Worship is to ascertain and seek and desire to know. And praise is to tell the story of what you learn, correct? So he was saying, no one has seen the father correctly, but the son has revealed him accurately and correctly. The son, Jesus, and we're all sons, but the son, Jesus, was the only man on planet Earth at that time that 100% was in union with father and totally understood. And I believe he learned from many teachers, but he was in tune with the mind of God, the breath of God, right? He was in tune and he revealed the, he, he discovered the truth of the matter greater than any other person before him. And I can tell you, I know that to be true because I feel like I've known a lot in the past, but I didn't know enough. But I learned from uh, first person was uh, uh, John Corson in Jacksonville, Oregon. After I left my church that I grew up in for 38 years, I learned from him. And then I ended up with Gary Garner and the light got brighter and brighter and brighter. And then I ended up with John Cahill and the light got brighter and brighter. I studied under uh, uh, Lynn Howes for quite a while and wrote for him quite a while, his, his, his books. I didn't write the books, but I transcribed them, typed them. I learned from him. And then I got connected with my lovely sister, Kay Fairchild, and I'm still in. And we learn from one another, right? And I believe we have much more light than we had 10, 15 years ago. So did not Jesus gain light and revelation knowledge and understanding to the point that he knew it all because he was in tune with the mind of the Father. The Apostle Paul said, I didn't get this from any man. But what he was talking about is any anthropos man. He got it by direct revelation by the Father. But as I'm going to show you here in a minute, he and other people, the revelation got greater and greater and greater. Or he wouldn't have said, Father, remove this from me. And what he was asking to remove me from was his religious upbringing. Remove the law from me. Help me to not try to go back to that stuff. And that's why he said, my holy breath is sufficient. Just draw from, in other words, breathe in 
with your, if you want to call it spirit, breathe in wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, the truth, and you'll be okay. So for us, the resurrection revealed the unchangeableness of the Father. It revealed his eternal love to us for all people, world without end, our beginning. And Father never needed blood. Isn't that great to know? You know, we used to hear people, Brother Garner is the first one I ever heard this, but people would say, after all, look what God did to Jesus. What would he do for, to you? You know, and he, he, he said, that's not true. So we can see clearly now, Father never needed any of that. He needed nothing to make him love us more. And we needed nothing to make us more like him. We already were. We just needed to be denuded of that religious mucus. Right? You ever wish somebody could denude you of all that mucus? It's terrible, isn't it? And that's why the Hebrews explained it that way. That, that overflow of mucus needed to be stopped so your tissue can do what it's supposed to do. Breathe in oxygen. It would, it would keep you, especially when it got into the lungs, it would keep you from functioning properly. So why aren't we functioning as Jesus did? It's because we have a whole lot of religious mucus in us. And it's right up here. And it's been denuded or been removed. So we use the scripture in our first book, in uh, No Penal substitution, uh, substitution, where it states, It's repented, Father, that he made man of the dust of the earth. You remember that? Yeah. And, of course, people thought, well, God got so mad at us. He said, why did he even make them? Be like a parent having a child, and the child's always in trouble. and said, I wish you were never born. I've heard that said before to people. But people taught that to be... They use that to teach anger all the time. The word repented means pitied. Remember that? It means pitied. Father had pity on man. You know, when my children are suffering, I don't say I wish I would never, we had them. I just, I have pity. I feel pity for them. I help them the best I can. You know, I've got three and uh, Angela really never needed much help. They've done pretty good most of their life. And my son needed a little help. My daughter needed a little help. And so I wasn't angry with them. I didn't get mad at them for what they did. I just, I pitied them. And if I pity you, I'm going to help you. Right? I'm always trying to encourage you. Come up hither. Come up hither. And so it's another meaning for compassion. I used to, we say it was a meaning for mercy. But remember when I talked to you about mercy last week? God never needed mercy. Mercy means I can punish you if I want to, but I'm not going to. In other words, you're worthy of punishment, but I'm, no, it's just, it, the, the word mercy actually means compassion. So he had compassion on them. And he asked Adam, who told you that you lost my glory? And he said, I did not tell you that, right? So father pitied him and he followed him. He didn't kick him out of the garden. He did not. He, the Bible talks about how he put angels to guard it didn't say to keep people out. It says to guard the way. And an angel means messenger. So he sent all along. He sent messengers to guard the way back to living out of the cool of the day or out of the breath of God. Yes. And there's messengers in the earth today that are guarding the way. You know, that's, that's not the way. This is the way. Doing, obeying the law and Ten Commandments and paying your tithe and working your butt off in church and giving up your time and never taking your children to the lake and always been here every Sunday and every Wednesday and every revival. That's not the way. This is the way. Walk you in it. The way is realizing that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. 
just as Jesus was. Yes. You are the face of God. You are, you are the image of God in the earth. You are masters over this earth. And you were born righteous and holy. Yes. See, that yes. gives me goosebumps. That other stuff made me afraid. Yeah. Because I, I could never fulfill all that. And if I did, they'd add another one. That's true. <laughs> and that's why I love Butch's message. And I wish we could find it recorded. I'd like to type it, but it's written in red. You know, people think just because it's written in red, it's, it's the word of God. It's not. It was Jesus adding to their law. That young little rich man came to him and said, Hey, Jesus, I fulfilled all the law. Well, he hadn't. But I fulfilled all the law. What must I do to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And he didn't understand that that's righteousness, peace, and joy. And he said, Oh, okay, well then I'll add another one. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor because Jesus knew his heart. and He wouldn't do it. He turned around and walked away. Right? Because the law will never make you righteous because you're already righteous. The law will never bring you peace. It'll never bring you joy. And it'll never let you know that you're righteous. So what happened is he pitied them. He continued to clothe them in understanding as they sunk lower and lower and lower into self-condemnation. He followed them everywhere they went. How could he leave them? He was one with them. So Father did everything he could to wake them up to the truth, who they eternally were, uh, were by denuding them of their false awareness, their filthy rags of religiosity, but they continue to res resist the truth, and self-condemnation is very hard to get out of. Very hard. So often, I'm almost done here. Nine more pages to go. <laughs> no, playing with you. Often when we seek to teach people of their eternal righteousness, they stand firm in their resistance. You ever seen that? <laughs> we all have friends that are that way. They just stand firm in their resistance. And why would they do that? It's because they have believed the great lie for so long that when the truth comes, they believe the truth to be the lie. And that's why we get resistance on Facebook sometimes. Not near as much as we used to, really. I, I, maybe once a month or maybe every two months, somebody comes in and attacks and we just send them on their way, you know, because we, I tell them I don't have to prove what I believe and know, and I'm not here to argue with you and I'm not here to change your mind. If you, if you're comfortable and I said, if it brings you peace, then go ahead. And so they quote all the King James versions of the scripture. They scroll, they quote scripture that's influenced by mythology and stand firm in the old teachings in which they were taught. <clears throat> And, and again, people say, well, why don't we throw our Bibles away? No, no, don't do that. You have the mind of God. Yeah. You know, you, you, you have the breath of God. You can understand it, it can help you. See, I have a computer in there, and the very first time I got that computer, man, I didn't know how to use it. I, I didn't know. Like Donna, she, she has a hard time sometimes because she's never worked out of a home but a few years, but never with technology like computers. So it's hard for her to comprehend some of this stuff, and I had to show her several times. But if I, she didn't have a teacher to help her, she would probably just never use it, probably throw it away. And that's what people are saying. Well, if the Bible is written wrong, then I might as well throw it. No, you've got teachers that can help you. You have the spirit of truth inside of you, the breath of truth, the holy truth of God. You, you, you have knowledge now that God is nothing but love. So you can go through scripture and you can explain it to people. Because if you just throw it away, it's still here. If you just throw it away, you're not going to be able to help people. 
You can go and say, well, Moses said this, but this is God, so that must have been Moses' perception. I mean, listen to what Kay's teaching. She's going through the whole Old Testament, and she's revealing so much truth, it's unbelievable. What, you know how things were metaphorically said, and they were mythologically influenced, and it's explaining things, and I'm telling you, I don't know why anybody wouldn't listen to it. It's fabulous, and I'm very excited. I talked to her this morning. Tonight, she's starting through the book of Revelation. And it's going to be powerful. And I sure would like to have the strength to type that as she goes. <laughs> so pray that I might, because it needs to get out there. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> Exodus 3.14 and John 3.10, we read where it was written, Father repented of the evil that he would do them. And then we thought, wow, God wanted to do evil, but he said, I won't do it. It's kind of like me many times uh, when my children were growing up, I was going to spank them. But after a while, they begged and screamed and cried and all that stuff. And I said, okay, I won't this time. <laughs> but I intended to spank them. Well, did God ever intend to put evil on anybody? Yes. So these religious writers, Moses and John, had a false perception of, of God. But then we read, now think of it, they said, Father repented of the evil that he would do to them. Then we read in James, let no man say when he's tempted, I am tempted of Father, for Father cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempted he any man whatsoever. So which is it? How could Father have done evil? Some people say James didn't know what he was talking about. But if you had the truth, you would understand that uh, Moses and, and uh, John wasn't quite sure on what, who God really was. And John put his head on his shoulders. I mean, on, on his bosom. And he was very close. But, but he was quoting the Old Testament. That's what he was doing. So how could Father have done evil and then repent of evil? He, he didn't. And then Malachi 2.6, I am the Lord, I change not. He never changes according to what you do, what you don't do. It's not like he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. He loved me when I won the lottery. I lost the lottery, he doesn't love me. You know, he loved me because he gave me a child and then my child died, so he doesn't love me. The list can go on and on. And we've, we've treated God like he's that kind of God. So with all that in mind, we look at some of the stories in the Old Testament. If Jesus came to reveal the love of the Father in the New Testament, uh, Brother Garner used to say the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Jesus came to reveal the truth. The truth. So why would he have to... He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. I'm here to reveal to you the way, the truth, and the life. Why would he have to do that unless there was lies? And the way was a false way and the life was a false way. Why would he do that? Well, because people were living a false life. They were walking down a way that seems right to men, right? And so all those false writings, perceptions came from the fact that they had not accurately seen Father. The same is true today. Very few teachers of the Bible have accurately seen, accurately seen Father. When you count up all the teachers in the world that teach the Bible, very few have. 
And the King James Version is the one that was translated by the Catholic Church, and some people say the Church of England too was involved in it. I don't know. All I know is it's translated by religiosity. And then all other translations came out of that. And so you have the New World Translation, you have the New English Translation, you have the Babies Translation. You, there, I, there are thousands and thousands of translations. People don't know that. There are a lot of really good translations but they still have a lot of stuff translated wrong because they start with the King James Version and very few of them literally went to the Greek and Hebrew. They just translated those words to make it easier to read. And if you look at the 999 numbers, it says they were added to make better readability. That's not true. They were added to enforce a religious doctrine of fear and an angry God. So Yes, a lot of it was, was mythological statements, but a lot of it was translated wrong. And again, that's what I say. I, one of my mandates is to translate scripture. Am I a Hebrew theologian and an expert in Hebrew and Greek? No, but I'm in tune with the one that is. And I have my tool that shows me the added numbers, my PC Bible study program that shows me the added numbers. And I listen to the voice of God. I listen to the breath of God in me. And when I read something, I say, that doesn't fit the love of God. Then I know to translate it. And many places, they change verses around to make it say something else. Just like God gave them up when it said they gave God up. God never gave anyone up. Right? So what about today? Today, the same is true. Most people see through a religious lens. And what happens, religion binds you up and it holds you back. Correct? So, Jeremiah, Isaiah, David, and other Old Testament ministers had a little bit of mythology in their beliefs, but they begin to start questioning their theology. Even the Apostle Paul experienced this progression of awakening, and Peter experienced the same progression of awakening. So, you know... Don't throw your Bibles away. Wake up. Amen. <laughs> Listen to the spirit of truth inside of you, the, the, the breath of truth inside of you. Get, in, get, in, uh, get some teachers that can teach you. There are teachers in the earth that can teach today, and there's a lot of good ones out there. And so during our awakening, we have the holy breath of truth in us that guides us through the words, guides us through the scriptures, explains things to me, to you. And as a same thing, uh, I would say for Father, I would say my holy breath is sufficient for you. If you're struggling, just tune in. Draw from within the wisdom and knowledge that comes from the mind of God, and you'll understand all things. So yes, Paul was a little legalistic, right? But as he went on, he corrected it, and he understood it. So we must not read our Bibles like we read a book or a newspaper we must t not take it verbatim. We must not say the Bible says it, so it must be so. If you do, that's the path of destruction. They're parables. They're, there are all kinds of stories and examples that we, we need to understand that we can see the truth in that. The stories in the Old Testament that look like Father ordered people to kill people, they're metaphors. They're not literal at all. So when we listen to Babylonian babble, what comes out of our mouth? Babylonian babble. <laughs> and I, I have to say, the majority of sermons that are taught in this world today is nothing but Babylonian babble. It's confusion. And it, pr it produces confusion. 
If you walk out of a teaching, a conference or whatever, and you feel like God has been angry with you at one time or another, that's Babylon. If you feel like you've, you disappointed God, that's Babylon. You know, and if you feel like you have to do something to please God or give something to please God, that's Babylonian teaching. Amen? Amen. So hope you loved that. Uh, I guess I didn't, didn't even make it an hour, did I? I'm getting pretty good. That was, that was 10 pages. <laughs> so we love you guys on Facebook. Thank you for being here. Hey, Dr. Bill, it's good to see you. I love you much, and I will be calling you soon. Uh, I appreciate all your prayers. I've, uh, I've been kind of forced into doing some manual labor for the last uh, six weeks, working eight to nine hours a day, cleaning up a house, and my, my body is feeling better. I, I have more energy than I've had before. I still have quite a bit of pain, but I know that's going to go away. But uh, I, I, I think I'm about 75% better, so I'm excited about that, and it's just going to get better and better. So lots to do, and I need to have the energy to do it, so keep praying for me. I really would. I told Kay, I'm not promise you, but I really would like to transcribe and help her write the book that she's getting ready to teach out of Revelation. So it, it would be great. So I encourage you to listen to her. Love you. Thank you. Have a great day.